what was working then, what's working now. Honestly, the basics haven't really changed. I get, I get asked this question a lot and basically we're still sending mail. We're still doing the fundamentals. We've added in, you know, some cold calling and some extra follow-up and probably much, much stronger follow-up system on people who do call in and may not be interested today, but now we have like a really good robust system on the back end. Whereas back in 2015, it was like, oh, you're not interested, next, next, next. They're just kind of burning through leads and they had no idea what I was doing before. But the fundamentals really haven't changed all that much. I mean, driving for dollars still works. Sending out consistent, good mail works. It's just a numbers game. Hello, great state of Arizona and the Western Seaboard. This is Marcus Maloney and Mike Del Preet with the Azria Show. And today we have Anton Young, who hails out of Denver, Colorado. And we're going to be talking about lead gen and the process of lead generation. So, Mike, how are you doing today? Wonderful, man. Very excited right. to be here. Yeah, sounds like it. Sounds like you're really excited. Yeah. I really <laughs> am, man. I really am. Anton, man, how are you doing today? So, I'm good, Marcus. How are you? Great, great, great. So you guys, just to let you guys know, Anton, he is an author with Bigger Pockets. He wrote the book on... Finding and Funding Great Deals. You said you go this up. So gonna... Yep. Finding and Funding <laughs> Great Deals. So we're that's what we're going to be talking about today. So Anton, man, before we get started, man, give us just a brief background about who you are, how you got started. Sure. Yeah. So... um you know, when I got started, I have this origin story where I got laid off in IT, really didn't didn't enjoy being laid off and having someone else control my destiny in that way. So since I was laid off, my wife and I decided we were going to move down to Phoenix. That's where my brother was living at the time. They just had their first baby. So we figured, hey, you know, what better time than now to go be closer to family and experience that? And so right before I left, a friend of mine handed me Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And said, you got to read this. And I did. So on the, on the U-Haul trip down, when I wasn't driving, I was reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And so when I landed in Phoenix, in Surprise actually is where I first landed. Okay. I figured, hey, new city, new me. This could be a new start to, mm -hmm. you know, career or, uh, so I don't get laid off again, basically was my, right. my goal. So I spent the first year just trying to figure out the Phoenix market, what kind of investment strategies made sense. I actually, I was just telling these guys right before this, but my very first real estate event that I ever went to was Azria. Um, I believe awesome. it was on the east side somewhere. Mem right. Memory's bad. This is like 2005. So <laughs> <laughs> it feels like forever ago. But, um, you know, that was my very first real estate event. Awesome, and man. there was a couple other events in town as well. But uh, I really dug in and started coming every month. I was networking with every, anybody I could find and finally got a hold of my first deal, which ended up to be a live-in flip in Glendale. Stayed there for a year, sold it, moved back to Denver at the beginning of 2006. And so since then, I've got my license. I've, um, I've been wholesaling, fix and flipping, and most recently in the last 18 months, been working on Burr properties out of state as well. Okay. So it was kind of a fast forward at the end there, but that's my, yeah, yeah. that's my origin story. Okay. So um, let's talk about, you know, finding deals, especially in this market. You know, what, what do you see as the difference between finding deals, let's just say in 2015, 16, 17 versus 
you know, in today's market now, you know, what kind of strategies were you using then? Let's start, let's start there. What were some of the strategies that you were using then? So in 2015, I had just started making the switch to, you know, for a long time, we bought REO properties back in real estate owned, bank owned foreclosures mm -hmm. straight off of MLS. And we got, had a really good mm -hmm. MLS system down. And then we had a good short sale system right after that. When, when REO started drying up, we started going after short sales on market still. And in 2015 is when I really realized that it wasn't sustainable. Short sales have gone away. Basically finding on market deals was tough. And so I started dipping my toes into marketing directly to sellers in, in 2015 and really just started driving for dollars and sending out, sending out letters, basically okay. uh, yellow letters, actually, probably gotcha. back then they, back then they actually worked. So, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's, that, that's how I, that's what I was doing in 2015 was, was making that shift from on market to now off market. Okay. Big difference now, huh? Yeah. I mean, you mean between then and now? Yeah, man. Or, I mean, just, the, um, well, the question I wanted to ask, actually, I'll jump real quick. Cause Mark said a good question said, what was working then versus now? Mm -hmm. And then even what's the difference from marketing in Denver to out of state? Yes. Great question. So the right. first one, what's, what was working then what's working now, honestly, the basics haven't really changed. I get, I get asked this question a lot and basically we're still sending mail. We're still, mm -hmm. uh, we're still doing the fundamentals. We've added in, you know, some cold calling and some extra follow-up and probably much, much stronger follow-up system on people who do call in and may not be interested today, but now we have like a really good, robust system on the back end. Whereas back in 2015, it was like, oh, you're not interested next, 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 and just kind of burning through leads and had mm -hmm. no idea what I was doing, of course. But the fundamentals really haven't changed all that much. I mean, driving for dollars still works. Sending out consistent, good mail works. It's just a numbers game at the end what of the do, day. What does that mean though? Consistent, good mail, good yeah. mail. Good mail. So, you know, for me, my philosophy is I try to do things a little bit more, uh, handcrafted and, and, um, okay. You know, higher quality. And so I'm not sending out a ton of postcards. I'm not trying to do the bottom of the barrel, cheapest marketing. I'm really trying to stand out inside of people's mailboxes to the point where I, I'm pretty sure I have a hundred percent open rate. Not like you could track that, but, but people are opening what I have because it doesn't look like anything else in their mailbox, which is a good way to stand out inside of mm -hmm. the noisy world of marketing. And then, you know, really good quality message and call to action inside of there. And then the next piece that we send them isn't just a cookie cutter of the one that we sent before. It's, you know, it's a system that builds on each other in a sequence. And so uh, the consistency part is my, again, my philosophy is like, if I'm going to mail to a list, I'm either going to mail it for eight months consistently and then kind of evaluate what's going on, or I'm just not going to mail them at all. I can't do this one and done. Okay. You know, one month systems. I've tried it before. It doesn't work. I've, I've talked to a lot of investors who are like, oh, I mailed out like 500 letters and nothing happened. So I'm going to quit and go do this thing. Mm -hmm. Well, no, like you need to consistently hit those lists to get really results that you can track, you know, results that you can really, you know, bank on. Of course, there are times when two or three months in, it might just be a dead list or it might be bad data. 
So we've, okay. we've, we've had some lists that have had bad data. We really didn't find out till two or three months in. We ripped, you know, we pulled the cord on those. We're not going to just, you know, do it just for the sake of it. But if you have a good list with a good message and a good uh, mailing piece, mailing a consistency is the key. Okay. So if I'm following, so the mailer looks different first and foremost. Mm -hmm. um, good messaging, good call to action, consistent for eight months is kind of the formula. And on the, are, when it looks different, is it the, um, different every month or is it, are you branding the same every month? Both. So okay. the branding, the branding is consistent. I always send out branded mailers. I don't want anonymous, you know, Joe uh, mm -hmm. buys houses out of the back of his van or something. So it has, you know, a corporate address, has a web address. And, um, and, and then every month, it's not the same exact piece. It's going to be changed up to whether it's a, you know, a nicer postcard. And then the next month, it's a, you know, a letter in an envelope. Um, the next month, it might be a professional letter. So changing it up kind of, it just hits the right people at the right time. They may not have responded to, you know, a handwritten piece. But two months later, when they get the professional letter, maybe that piques their interest. And so, you know, we're just trying to hit the right people at the right time. And to your second question before, like, I, I don't want to forget it because mailing in state versus out of state, we're in a high cost of living, high competition area here in Denver with super low inventory. Median home price is about 650K. Mailing here is pretty, is pretty tough. Everybody yeah. who has any equity is getting easily uh, 15 to 20 pieces of mail a week on their property. Okay. So, so they're getting inundated. So it's hard to stand out in that environment. Um, going out of state into lower cost of living markets that are maybe a little bit smaller geographically in population size, the amount that we can compete in those states is night and day difference versus Denver. So we can actually find an extremely consistent deal flow in those other markets versus Denver, where it's a, it's a lot harder to compete in a much more uphill battle. So, but that was a great question. Okay. So yeah. your end goal, Anson, is to acquire these properties for Burr opportunities, correct? Yeah, out of state, our goal is really top down. It's lead gen first, and then multiple ways to monetize those leads and help those homeowners. So, you know, whether that's, um, if it makes more sense as a wholesale, we'll wholesale it fix and flip, we'll fix and flip it. If it's a retail lead, they want full price for their home. We have a way to, to do that as well with a, a agent on our team on the ground. And then, but the ultimate goal is to pick the best ones for Burr. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. So some of those sub markets, so you're in Denver, what are some of the sub markets that you're, that you're currently working? So we're in two markets in Ohio. We're also in Nebraska as well. Which one's in Ohio? We're in Columbus and Cincinnati. Okay, cool. I'm in Columbus and Cleveland. There you go. So we got a, some synergy there. Yeah. On the, on the Columbus side. Let's see what we can do. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Columbus is a really cool town. I like mm -hmm. it a lot. Okay. So the lead gen, kind of what's, what's, because I know a lot of people say, hey, you know what? Yeah, direct mail was hot, you know, in 2014, 15, you know, 12, things like that. And everybody shifted to cold calling. What are you seeing as far as direct mail? Are you seeing, starting to see more opportunities in direct mail than you were, you know, let's just say three or four years ago? I'd say it's, it's probably about the same. I mean, as long as you have a decent list and you're consistent with it, 
or I mean, I, I, I could probably pull KPIs from six years ago. I don't know if I was tracking mm-hmm. them then, but some old Podio system that's like, that I yeah. never <laughs> but, but I would, I would assume that they're pretty similar or, or close. Like I found that every shiny object that I chase, when I go back to just mailing consistently, I have more consistent numbers. And, and we do, we do cold call as well. We'll cold call like the same list mm-hmm. just to hit them kind of maybe twice in a month. But, but mail's always just push a couple buttons. It goes out consistently calls come in. Then that, that's always nice. So. Okay. Yeah. Well, tell us about cold calling. So is that something you're consistently doing as well as cold calling right now? Yeah, for sure. We'll cold call basically all of our lists every month or two. Mm-hmm. So those people are consistently being, being hit. Uh, about every four to six weeks, probably in the cycle. So, so, so direct mail and cold calling, are those your two key marketing channels right now? Yep. hundred percent. Are you using like in-house call? Are you having like, uh, do you have like uh, offshore t- kind of callers or? They're in-house. Okay. So have a, a small team of, of guys and gals that'll, that get, get after it. So we've, we've, I feel like that was a lot of growing pains was trying to find mm-hmm. just the right calling system and the right people. We did offshore, we did, you know, kind of a real estate geared calling center. Mm-hmm. We've kind of tried it all, but we found by just actually just training from the ground up, you know, four to five people, it's mm-hmm. been a lot more consistent and a lot better overall. We can control the quality of those callers and the calls and everything that's happening versus it felt like when it was overseas or outsourced, man, it was just like maybe a manager would hit, hit you up every day or two. And of, you know, you're, you're basically like chasing down the fires at that point. Gotcha. It felt like to me, I, maybe someone else has found a great system. I don't know, but. Okay. Okay. So, and I know Mike, we're kind of pinging back and forth. You're going cold call and I'm going direct mail. Mm-hmm. So that way, you know, people can get both perspectives with the direct mail, the inbound calls, right? Are they live answer? Are they going to a voicemail? Kind of what, what's the inbound process for those calls? They are live answered. Okay. Uh, since there's not, since direct mail response rates are low, there's not a million calls coming in every day. There's a manageable amount for, you know, two acquisitions people to, to handle. And if, if they can't pick up for some reason, we've tried a backup kind of out outsource system to pick up any missed calls, but we found if we can get back to those people within three to five minutes on a voicemail, that it's, it's pretty dang close numbers wise to, uh, kind of picking up the ball and running with it. But live answers always is, is always preferred. So. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. I love it, man. So it's like marketing is the most important thing I feel like in our business, right? So the lead generation and we just were, we just did another podcast, but all the podcasts we're doing, all the investors we always talk about, it's the same thing you're saying, man, it's consistency and speed. Yes. (laughs) It seems like that's very important. Yeah. I just wanted to point that out, man. Yeah, no, I, I consider myself just a marketer or a lead generator, Mm -hmm. you know, and then what we do with those leads just happens to be real estate. (laughs) I mean, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Anton, take us through the process, man. So you're in Denver. You know, well, I'm assuming have limited knowledge about Cincinnati and Columbus. What's one of the processes that somebody should go through when they're deciding, you know, on that virtual market? Yeah. Market analysis, that could be its own, its own thing, right? 
Yeah. It's like, why did Mike choose Cleveland and we didn't, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. There's, I mean, there, there's a million data points in there and it just, it, it really matters what's most important to you and your business. I found that really good growth markets that they have decent population growth. They have decent job growth. There's multiple job centers inside the city. So we're not going to, you know, all the other metrics could be good. And then we go into a town where Walmart's the, the only employer or the biggest mm-hmm. employer, you know, Walmart could go away for some reason. Who knows? Right. Even military bases are not off the table because there have been some that have closed Mm -hmm. in the South. And Mm -hmm. if your entire portfolio was military families, you're kind of screwed, I guess. But so so we want to see like two or three really good job centers, you know, really good hospital or healthcare complex. And maybe it's a silicon chip factory and an auto factory or something like that. So if one goes away, we at least have some redundancy there. So obviously the other metrics have to be price to rent ratios, if we can actually buy the properties, get okay. get the numbers where we need them to be in that market. So if we're seeing rent at a certain amount and then purchase price at a certain amount that makes sense, then you know we're good to go. Now, can we go buy properties at that price? The data only tells you so much, but those are some of the things that are really important to us. Growth, I think is a big one. We don't want to go into any city or area that's dying out where they have a negative population growth. People are all moving away. We want a lot of things that'll bring people in. And then that way there's, there's good tenants who are there, whether they're with us for a year or 10 years, it doesn't matter, but they're there for a reason. They have a nice house to live in while they're there. And there's enough of them coming in so that we pretty much never have to worry about it. So those are some of the metrics that we look at. All right. Perfect. So you guys listening. You need to write those metrics down when you're looking to do some lead gen and other markets outside of Phoenix Metro. That way you can find these deals just like Mike is doing, Anson is doing, and myself. Absolutely. So on, um, so now we talked a lot about, is there anything else that you feel we should know or our listeners should know about marketing? Like, cause if we're going finding funding, great deals, like around the finding, where are some like major tips that you would, you'd share with somebody? Yeah. I mean, for us direct-to-seller marketing, networking, and referrals from, you know, other professionals are where we get, you know, pretty much 98% of all of our deals. And so the marketing piece is, you know, it, it's, it's pretty cut and dry. It's for everything that we talked about, find the list, mail it, mm-hmm. uh, or find a list, call it, <laughs> go knock mm-hmm. the door, whatever you want to do. Um, I think that the networking piece is a piece that not a lot of people talk about uh, enough. You know, whether it's networking with other, um, you know, other investors, wholesalers, uh, you know, attending meetup groups, if you're in town or virtual meetup groups, if, if yep. not, um, agents is a huge one. Uh, so we'll actually market directly to agents, uh, cause every, you know, as a real, as a licensed real estate agent, I know, you know, my office is full of people who, you know, they don't think the way that we do. And so if they come across a hoarder house or their uncle wants to sell their house and it hasn't been updated in 57 years, you know, there, that doesn't fit into the normal agent box. And yeah. so they need an outlet to, you know, to, to be the hero. So we let them stand up and be the hero and save the day with their client. And we we're just the ones who are purchasing it and they get to keep all the commission and all that stuff. So incentivizing agents and having kind of a team of agents that are looking for these pocket listings, or, you know, sometimes they get off market deals as well. You know, we can't be in every nook and cranny in a market, but we can have a little team of, you know, agents who are also looking for us and, um, know that if they bring us something that they're going to get, you know, well compensated for it. 
And so that's their incentive to, you know, create a win-win scenario. And so those are the two kind of biggest things, um, that we're, you know, that we're doing to find deals. Okay. Love it. So, uh, so, uh, direct to owner and networking. Yeah. Yep. Love Absolutely. it. So what about, so what about the Burr model, Anson? Are you, you holding on to these properties in Columbus and Cincinnati? Kind of walk us through that process because again, you haven't been there. You know, who do you have managing these properties? Kind of, kind of walk us through that because I know a lot of people now, they may not focus on wholesaling, but they still got to try and find deals. And, and that's the issue nowadays is, hey, how can I find a deal? And then what am I going to do once I get it? you know, for the people that want to hold on to them. So kind of walk us through that process. Yeah. Like the, uh, you know, the wise, uh, Tarl Yarber says it's a, a burr is just a flip that you keep. And so you have to have all the process and processes in place for a flip, analyzing the rehab, having contractors, managing those contractors, kind of babysitting adults really, but, um, mm -hmm. making sure that everything's getting done on time on task. So project management skills inside of there. And then obviously the financing piece is a big one too, of a wholesaler doesn't have to worry about financing for the most part. So they don't worry about it. Like I talk to wholesalers all the time and they're just like, I don't know, you know, like I'm not bankable. I don't care. You know, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just, I'm just assigning these things. Who cares? <laughs> right. But, but you know, a fix and flipper can go find hard money. That's pretty easy to qualify for. But if you're keeping the properties, you have to be, you know, somewhat bankable, I guess. So there's, there's a lot of moving pieces there. Um, and. Having, having good people and a good team on the ground is, is instrumental. I mean, I'm sure Mike is the same exact thing where I have no interest in hopping on an emergency flight to go solve problems in that market. That's only, you know, so, so sustainable, right? I have business here. I have right. fit here. <laughs> I can't be spending weeks at a time away. And so having the right people in place is key. And if you have the wrong people, you'll have a very painful time. We've all talk to investors who have done out-of-state things and their property management sucks or their property management screwed them or their agent hasn't been great or contractors is always a pain point for investors. And so really vetting and having, you know, we, we, we try to get referrals for every single specialty that we have, whether that's through our agent, through our property manager, our property management comes from referrals from other investors. So that's where networking really kicks in, uh, whether it's through Facebook, Facebook groups, uh, bigger pockets. Uh, if you are so inclined to fly there and attend some meetups, you know, really those referrals and, um, are key. And those are referrals that people are happy to give away. Right. I won't be my private lender, but I'll tell you if my property management, my property manager is awesome. Yeah. Like uh -huh. that, that, that doesn't lose me any money. That actually just helps my property manager and, and, and helps them be more successful. And so. There's a lot of things in there that you can get referrals for to try to find the best people. People are people or you find the best people. Some of them will still fail you, unfortunately, but having a good, just having a good corral of, we don't have just one general contractor. We're talking to three at a time, you know, because if one fails, at least we've gone through the preliminary process of talking to two others. Right. And so, uh, I, that was a lesson I learned in Denver where I, th every time I thought I had the best guy for tile or whatever <laughs> it was like that guy was rock solid until he wasn't and yeah. then i left scrambling so i should always be talking to multiple uh trades or multiple multiple people inside of each one of those categories 
And so, uh, you know, management is always with property management. I don't have any interest in self-managing, you know, pretty much anything. I'd probably be terrible at it. So I'm going to outsource that every time. When we're talking about the burr, like someone newer to it, because there's a lot of variables. Yes. Right. I mean, what are some, some things that they just have to know or understand before you even try a burr? Cause it's popular, right? It's, it's, it's <laughs> easy to get caught on to the hype. So what are some, some, some tips on the burrs? Yeah. I mean, again, having any kind of flipping skills helps analyzing rehabs, knowing your, you know, knowing those rehab costs going in, knowing your valuation. So knowing what the property's worth in order to even do the formula on that bird, you have to know all of the variables of that equation. You have to know, you know, what it's going to cost to fix it up. What are the holding costs going to be? How much money do you have into the deal? And then what it's going to be worth at the end when you go and try to refinance. Obviously, you don't have a crystal ball and can't see the appraisal at the end, but you need to know at least if you're in the ballpark and if you're going to, if you're relying on that cash back out of the deal, you need to know your, your numbers really well. Burrs are tough because you have to be a really good deal finder and mm -hmm. find deals that are discounted enough to make a burr work. You know, if a lender is doing a 75% cash out refinance and you're hoping to get cash out of that deal, you better be, you better be under that 75% if yep. you want your, if you want your cash back out. So you really have to know kind of a lot of different things. It's not, it's definitely not an easy tactic to, you know, to jump into, but you know, there are good books and resources out there. A lot of local, um, RIAs and clubs and meetups as well of other investors who are making it work and doing it. So yeah, it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of moving pieces, but once you've mastered chunks of it and in, in, in another piece, definitely talk to a lender or burr lender. There are A to Z, you know, all in one companies now that will, they'll fund the kind of a hard money uh, purchase. And then as you're fixing it up, they're working on the refinance for you. And so as soon as it's tenanted and it's seasoned, then the refi kicks in and you're good to go. So they kind of pre-approve you for that refi before you even start the process. Very good point. It's not, yeah. it, it's not a mystery of, you know, will yeah. I qualify for this refinance? Um, I have it under a hard money loan. Uh, you know, there are people who have been caught out like that too, where they didn't check on the the back end financing to make yeah. sure it's all going to work out. It's for them. very, it could be very risky and, and. You know, sometimes the marketing of it or, you know, is, you know, getting all your money back. Like, so, you know, how often have you had to leave money in a deal? I don't know. If yeah. No, it, it happens. I mean, yeah, from there. Not a bad thing, but like. Yeah. 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 I mean, we're, yeah, it, it, it's, it's not a terrible thing. It just depends on your business model. Like yep. if five, 10, $20,000 here or there doesn't, doesn't mm -hmm. matter, then it doesn't matter. But if you need all that money back in order to go do your next one then it definitely matters. You know, if you're doing your first one and you're trying to do your second one, um, you need every, you know, you need every dollar of that. Mm -hmm. um, true. So true. So when we say uh, when, on your book, so finding funding great deals. So is, is the burr the funding method that you talk about in the book or what are some, when you talk about funding, what, what do you usually cover? Well, this was a little bit pre-burr. It was published in 2017. Okay. So I, don't, I don't even think burr was a term that... <laughs> Just, Got it. <laughs> but, yeah. but, you know, I have 10 different ways of funding in there from raising private money to hard money loans, creative financing. It touches on a little bit because creative financing could, of course, take up a whole, you know, uh, a whole book. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, 
but yeah, it, it talks about 10, 10 different kinds from, you know, whether you're a house hacker and you're doing your FHA loan, you know, all the conventional types of financing all the way through, you know, uh, raising private money and, and going that route as well. So, uh, some of it, it might touch on cash out refinancing, but, um, but again, that wasn't like a, you know, a huge method that everybody was hot on. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. Well, Anton, man, thank you so much. Tell us how we can find you, how we can get in contact with you and get the book. Absolutely. So yeah, if you, uh, you know, if you want to go to bigger pockets, you can search me up in my, my profiles there, connect with me there, send me a message. Um, if you want the book, there's a bookstore on bigger pockets or through Amazon. Um, if you want to find, you know, follow me on Instagram at young Anson. And so, yeah, that's how you can find me. Okay. I'm going to make sure I'm following you in, in, um, in Columbus. Are you doing, what are you doing in Columbus now? I mean, we're doing, uh, wholesaling, wholesaling. um, and burr. Those, those are kind of our two big things there. And then I know Marcus went towards the wrap up, but, um, so how does the, the interest rates, man? So how'd that affect, like, how are you transitioning over the, the big change over the last six months? You know? Yeah. yeah I mean, we've just dug in and tried to make the deals the best that we can. Mm -hmm. uh, some of our wholesaling is just putting, so, putting some of that money back into our bird deals to kind of make them work. Okay. We'll, we'll refinance out some of that money, but not all of it. So it, it, it definitely has affected it. We're, we're just trying to roll with the punches. We can still underwrite deals. We're also working on, we do it here in Denver, but we're working on maximizing all of our cash flows. And so if, if a long-term rental could be used as, you know, used better as a midterm rental or okay. as a room by room rental, room by room really is like high cost of living areas, but midterm or short term, then we're, we're heavily looking at everything to maximize that cash flow. If we can do 50% more on a midterm rental and all we have to do is furnish it, there's a little bit more moving pieces there, but we're maximizing cash flow will beat out higher interest rates every time. So love it, man. Great. Very wide scope of knowledge you got there, man. It's very impressive. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So guys, if you want to reach out to Anson again, you can find him on Instagram. You can find him on bigger pockets. Anson, thank you so much for yeah, man. here with us. We're definitely going to have to have you on so we can dig a little bit deeper into some of these strategies for finding deals because it's definitely needed in this market because that's one of the things that people are looking for is trying to find the deals and trying to find a way to fund them yeah. now. So <laughs> absolutely. So with that being said, guys, thank you so much. Rhea, you definitely know what to do. Get out there, take massive action. Remember, go to our calendar at asria.org forward slash calendar to find out all of our amazing events for each month. And then don't forget to join us for our monthly meeting. We have two to 300 investors there at the monthly meeting and you need to be in the place. If you need money, it's there. If you need deals, it's there. If you need insurance, it's there. Whatever you need, it's absolutely there. So we would love to see you and we would love to have you. Thank you so much, Anson. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening to The Azria Show with your hosts, Marcus Maloney and Mike Delpreet. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you found this information valuable, head over to azria.org and learn more about our community.